Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Pistons fans from around the great state of Michigan and all over the world, welcome to episode number 24 of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Brendan Johnson, Aaron Johnson, and Ryan Pay here with you. I've already got Ryan dying to my right. He loved my little Mason introduction to the podcast here this week. But gentlemen, a lot to talk about here on this beautiful day of the Pistons offseason. Time out. Time out. Time out. I don't I don't know what just happened. I don't know what, what was that? Oh my god. What? Okay, I guess let's do this. I don't even know what's happening right now. Take two. Get up. Get up on your feet. It's time to talk pistons. Is that better? Is that what we're looking for? No, no, let's just get into it. I think Aaron wants to fire Brendan right now. <laughs> well, a lot to talk about, even though it is the off season. And as always, we're going to start with a topic that's related more to the NBA, but it also intertwines the Pistons as well. The Atlanta Hawks last week came out with something I found to be very interesting: new concessions prices, dollar chips, two dollar candy, jumbo pretzels, and bottled water. Three dollars for fries, hot dogs, nachos, bottled soda. It's pop, and. $4 pizza slices, bottomless popcorn, bottomless soda, or 5 bucks for a beer. I posed the question on Twitter. Would there be an increase in attendance? Would this affect the experience for fans? Would it draw more people to Little Caesars Arena? If the Pistons, or maybe it'd have to be Little Caesars Arena, lowered their concessions prices to kind of follow that model that you've seen with both the Atlanta Falcons, and now you're seeing with the Atlanta Hawks. I honestly, I think this is a really smart move by the Atlanta Hawks, uh, considering they're going to be a crap team this year. But um, it's impossible to go to the concession stand as a family of four going to any of these games in the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, uh, MLB. It doesn't matter. Go to the game, the tickets cost, you know, 350 bucks for a family of four, and then you're going to the concession stand, buy four waters, that's 25 bucks. Buy four hot dogs, then they're 30 bucks. And then you want to buy maybe some of the little snacks, someone wants to buy some nachos, there's eight more dollars. It's impossible for the average family of four to do this. I think this is a brilliant move. And honestly, I think the Pistons would be smart in following, uh, following suit in doing this. Um, we know this team could be very well in contention this year, but it just gets more people going, knowing it's more affordable. People are willing to go have that night out. Why do that when you can just stay home and eat for free? Yeah, I think that as someone who's pretty stingy with their money, I I would never think about going to a professional game, like a Pistons game or a Lions game or a Tigers game. I would never go to a game and plan on spending a penny at the concession stand because I'm not dropping $5 on a bottle of water and I'm not dropping $5 on a hot dog. It's just not what I would want to do. What if you dropped $15 on a Little Caesars Hot and Ready, though? <laughs> Well, Nonsense. Yeah, that's just no one. No one that is. Oh come on! You're telling me that like four pieces of pizza for fifteen bucks is a bad deal? It it doesn't 
work with the economy that we have today. No family, no single person even, unless they have extra money to blow, is going to a game and is going to go out to the concession stand and start spending money on food and start spending money on beverages. No, that's that's your car payment and your car insurance. If you're just, you know, the average around the mill family, you're just throwing money away at that point. It's nonsense. A couple years ago, the Pistons were running like $2 hot dog nights or something like that. Like every Tuesday night, they played a home game. I didn't realize that until I was at one of those games. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. Was that every Tuesday night game the rest of the year that year? <laughs> I think I think something that, that's interesting with this is going back to does it get more fans in the seats. And I think as a first-time thing, it doesn't really do that. No one's going to think now that, now that if the Pistons made that move and prices for concessions were much cheaper that they're going to go out and buy tickets. But after the first time, maybe they go and they realize it and they kind of get the – feel for themselves the extra commodity it is to be able to go out and enjoy some extra things at a game that they hadn't been able to do in the past, I think it's something that would stay in the mind of consumers and they would just remember that, you know, last time we went to the Pistons game, I got a couple beers, I got a couple hot dogs, and I did it pretty price effectively. And that's just kind of that new added bonus if that move were to be made. And for a team like Atlanta that, like Ryan said, isn't going to be good, next year, even though I think, personally, I think they're going to be exciting just because of the youth they have. Exciting, sure. But, but that doesn't exciting. put that doesn't put tickets in the seat, especially for a city like Atlanta that it deals with, and Detroit deals with the same thing of consistently every year being one of the lowest teams in the league in attendance. That's a very smart move, and I think it's a progressive move to, it'll draw more seats, draw more people into seats down the line, and I think that if Detroit would do that, it would certainly help especially when you're trying to fill a brand new arena too, which did not do well last year seats-wise, I think this would be a very good move. I believe the average attendance was between eleven and 12,000 at Little Caesars Arena last year to watch the Detroit Pistons. And another just quick point to bring up, even with, you know, there's the families, right? But you have so many colleges in the local area. And don't you think that it would be an attraction to more college kids to want to go downtown? The ones that go to school maybe in Detroit, like the U of D Mercies or Wayne State, or even in the metro Detroit area? That would be such a great pull to get those kids out of, you know, what's it, $3 nachos and pizza or $3 fries, $3 hot dogs, um, the jumbo pretzels for two bucks. You're not wrong, Brandon. College kids are balling on a budget. Mm -hmm. Like, to be able to go to the game and actually get something to eat and not just sit there starving because they can't afford $25 hot and readies, I think that's a brilliant move too because college kids love sports. College kids love the Pistons. College kids want to go to games. They want to do that while they're young and single. It's just there's so many positive benefits to this. I, I don't understand why you wouldn't follow suit. Well, and I just wanted to add in that another team that did this in the NFL was the Atlanta Falcons, and they're a pretty good football team, at least as of recent, and it's maybe it's not just something that the poor teams have to do. Maybe the better teams of the league can do this as well, and I think that it would be wise for teams throughout all the professional leagues to try to follow suit here because I think it's something that, like I said, down the line would be an added benefit to, to just be another uh, addition to drawing more people into seats. Absolutely. Well, there's going to be a poll on the Palace of Pistons Twitter page, at Palace of Pistons, so be sure to check that out. Cast your vote um, on whether lowering the concessions prices would improve attendance down at Little Caesars Arena. Well, the only thing, you know, cut, we have Atlanta Hawks concession prices cutting, and you know what else is cutting? Andre Drummond 
and his weight. Again, Andre Drummond has reportedly cut 20 pounds this offseason, as well as working on his three-point shot. Um, Drummond had to say, I don't do stuff on the court just to have fun. He told the score. Or he told the score when questioned about his three-point shenanigans. If I'm taking those shots, it's because I'm working on it for the upcoming season. Those are shots I'm going to be taking. I make at least 200 corner threes every day before I leave the gym. I'm getting them up. I'm getting the same shot up over and over again. So I'm getting more comfortable with it. It's been great so far. Andre Drummond trimming down, extending the range. This is great. This is really, really great. Not that, and I want to sp- talk about the first part first. So that wasn't about me saying Andre Drummond shooting three pointers, but the fact that he's continuing to trim weight in the off season, and he did that last year after going through that procedure that helped his breathing issues and, and such. But this year, getting back into that, cutting more weight so that he has better stamina, can move better, especially as he tries to transition this game into more of where he can handle the ball. Uh, He can run down the court with the ball. He's outside on the perimeter more. These are the type of things that follow along with the skill sets of being able to handle the ball and move around the perimeter on offense and defense. These are the kind of things that correspond with being able to do those things at an effective level. And I think it's great that he's cutting that weight. Moving into the three-point shooting, look, I don't think Andre Drummond's ever going to be taking five three-pointers a game. And I want to stress that right, right now. To anyone who's listening that thinks this is just an atrocious thing that Drummond is doing, because what else do you want him to be doing in the offseason? Last offseason, he worked on his free throw shooting. It's not like he stopped doing that this offseason. And last offseason, he saw a 20% raise from the work he did in the offseason to the regular season. So there there shows that when he works, he he does it the right way. And Drummond's always been working on that three-point shot. I don't think it's ever been worked on as extensively as it has been this offseason. And it sounds like from everything that he said and from what Dwayne Casey has said, that this has some potential to actually happen. And I'm okay with that because NBA big men have had to modernize themselves to survive. I think that's a very fair (laughs) thing to say. You see guys coming into the league like Carl Anthony Towns and Nikola Jokic. They both can shoot the three ball. Joel Embiid can shoot the three ball. Those are all centers. Andre Drummond, rather than staying with the same game and being less effective in today's NBA, has decided he's going to continue to grow. He's going to get in the gym, and he's going to work on that three-point shot. And even if it is just corner threes and maybe top of the key threes, those are still shots that help spread out that Detroit offense. And I think that's huge. Dwayne Casey has coached teams that are successful three-point shooters. I think that... That itself is going to help Andre Drummond just being in a system that flourishes from the three-point line. And to know and to see from all of the videos he's posted on social media of him getting these repetitions in, this is a good thing in that sense. I don't want him shooting five threes a game. I don't want that to be made out. But he can take two or three attempts per game. And if he's knocking them down in a league average clip, this is a pretty positive thing. And overall, I think there's much... um, different and worse ways a 24-year-old could be spending his off-season time, especially when he's out in Miami and Las Vegas. There's a much worse way he could be spending his free time, and to be in the gym working on his game and working on developing a new facet of his game, this is a positive thing. On all fronts, you love to see it. Uh, I'm very happy he's working on this, and when isn't this guy losing 20 pounds? For real. I love that he's getting in shape because it makes him more apt for today's NBA. You would see the guy constantly getting winded 
last year. And I know he did the surgery and that helped him, and now he's down another 20 pounds. Big. This is the NBA today is all about spacing the floor and running and being able to shoot. And now Dr- Drummond's being able to acclimate himself to what the league is doing. I'm excited for it. Now, like you said, he's not going to be pulling five threes a game. And he better not be, because he's. you said, hopefully he can shoot at a league average clip. He's not going to be shooting at a league average clip. Not this year, anyway. You don't think? I don't think not <laughs> this year from three. Absolutely. I don't know about When the guy can't shoot a hook shot without it going off the top of the backboard, he's not going to be shooting a league average clip from three-point, man. I think that's I think that's a different skill set. A, I get their different a different skills. kind of touch in, in that style okay, of Okay, the guy has no touch down low, and the guy had no touch at the free-throw line. Now he's grown 20%, like you said, from the free-throw line. But it's still not there all the time with the touch. So if you can't have touch from the post and you don't have touch at the free throw line, what makes you think he's constantly going to have touch at a league average clip from the three point line? Andre Drummond, the first three and D center in the league. Good lord! I mean, is that where we're headed right now with him? Who knows? No, that's not where I, we're headed. I, but come on, man! Like, don't get me wrong. I'm excited for this. He is expanding his game. This is what he needs to do. This is what needs to happen for him and Blake to be. You know, successful together. These are things that need to happen, but I don't think it's going to go into full effect this season. I think when you look at some of the bigs stretching out their games in recent years, you have your Marcus Sauls, your Brooke Lopez's. We even saw Aaron Baines do it last uh, last postseason with the Boston Celtics. Those guys were taking them and making them at a respectable clip, and I don't think that if he's if he's spending an entire offseason taking 200 corner threes, you know, he's taking threes from the wings, from the top of the key, wherever he's working, I don't I don't think it's unrealistic with all of the time he spent in the gym that he can be shooting a, a league average clip. Drummond is not pulling looks. up 36% next year from 3. He's not. I don't think that's off the table if he's taking the most efficient no, three pointers. Oh my gosh, he's not doing that, dude. In a couple years, absolutely he could be if he continues to work. But Going from a guy who just can't shoot, let's just face it, he can't shoot anywhere on the floor. And I get he's putting the work in, and I love it, because he needs to do that. But I'm telling you, he's not going to be at a league average clip this season. I think he can be around league average if he's taking the most efficient three-pointer in the game, the corner three, and he's getting them in an offense that allows him to be as open as possible. Now, I don't think he's going to be taking off the dribble, you know, super contested shots. No, I agree. And that that would make... The potential for his three-point percentage to take a huge dip. But if he's taking those open looks in the corners, those are the most efficient style of shots. And I think he can be around around the league average with those. I'm not saying he's going to he shoot 36%. If he shoots like 40, 45 threes the whole year, sure, he can average I think that. I think he can shoot 34, 35%. Because I don't think Dwayne Casey is going to let him go out there and shoot 27, 28% and allow that to be a routinely thing where he's taking three, three to four three-pointers a game because that hurts the offense. I think he's at least got to shoot 33 to 35% for this to be an applicable shot. I agree he's got to shoot 33 to 35% at least. And I don't think it's going to happen this year. Do I want to see him pull up more from three this year? Sure. But I don't need him pulling up two, three times a game if it's not if he's not able to shoot that percentage. And I don't know if it's going to be there after one offseason of work. I don't think it's been just one offseason, though. I don't Like I said earlier, he's obviously extensively worked on it this offseason, but he's always practiced a three-point shot. I don't know. Like I get what you're saying in the stance that it's tough to go from a 0% three-point shooter to a 36% three-point shooter, but when I've looked at his improvements that he's made from the free-throw line and just from what he's worked at and grown at, I think it's possible that he can be around the league average. I think Ryan made a really good point in that 
Drummond's lack of touch has been a problem. Both of the problem. Both of the free throw line in the post, his lack of touch is a problem. And to just... I, I'm, I'm more leaning Ryan's way that it's like, I'll believe it when I see it. You know? Because well, that, no, that's how it should be for everyone. It should be a believe it when I when I'll but, see it. I, I absolutely hope I'm wrong. I hope we can look back at this podcast midway through the scene and be like, Ryan, you're an idiot. I hope so. But my guy, come on. I don't come on. No matter even if you're shooting the most efficient three pointers possible. Come on, man. I've looked I I think when you look at the way big men have expanded their games, I think it's possible. Every big man's expanded their games. Yes, they are, but it doesn't mean Drummond's gonna do it in one year. I think Drummond's a really off talented season. player. Bro, I of think, course he's a talented player. That's why he was drafted 8 overall. That's why he's okay, on his team but I and think, one of the leaders of this team. I think his talent gives him the That's ability why he's to an make this jump. I think that his talent gives him that capability because the way he works. He has the, the capability, yes, the but not in one offseason. He's added a different My guy, year in think year about out. it. If he shoots 28% from three this year, I'll be hey, that's not bad. All right, we're moving. I don't want him but taking the guy, shot if he's only hitting 28%. My guy, you th- come on. He's not shooting 35% from three this year. Like I said, I hope I'm wrong. I hope we look I back on wrong too, Ryan. God, I want to be wrong, dude. I'm dying for good basketball in this city. But I don't think we're going to be looking back on this podcast from August 1st and being like, man... Drummond is the man at shooting threes. Ryan was dead wrong. It's not happening. Well, I guess it'll be interesting to see the percentage that Andre does shoot from the three this year and how that affects his NBA 2K rating. Really quick side note, came out in an 87 overall. That's back-to-back years. That's garbage. That's garbage. I'm not mad at it. as As an avid 2K player, I think that's absolute garbage. You look at some of the guys that got an 87 or above, Donovan Mitchell, Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons. These are guys going in their second season in the league. Andre Drummond took a major step in his game from the year before to last season. This is a guy that should not be below. and He shouldn't have dropped a percentage point. He started last season at 88. There's no way he dropped to an 87. You look at the ratings that 2K has given out. D'Angelo Russell's an 83 overall, and the guy played like 30 games last year. So... I don't know how this rating system is being, being brought together, but I think that the Travis that Drummond dropped a percentage point after the season he had. I agree that he shouldn't have dropped, but at the same time, I'm not really mad at it. 87 for a video game, that seems pretty right for Andre Drummond right now. Now if he takes the big step in his game again this year, and Aaron's right, and he's doing all this nonsense, shooting 35% from three land. He gets put, up to like that B minus shooting from B three. B minus shooting from three. <laughs> you know, then, okay, and then the next year, if he's not a 90 or above, then we have a problem. But right now, I still think Dre needs to work for it a little bit. Uh, moving away from Andre Drummond, uh, the Pistons did make a training camp signing, bringing in Johnny Hamilton out of Texas. Aaron, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, again, probably just a training camp signing. We'll see where it goes from there. But any real significance to this move? Yeah, so Johnny Hamilton came off the bench in Summer League with the Pistons and was pretty ex- pretty impressive in the short stints he got. Um, seems like a player that really can only play in short bursts, doesn't really have the explosiveness or the stamina to where he's a guy that you could play 30 minutes a night or anything like that. But the signing is mainly done to secure his G League rights, which means we'll likely see him with the Grand Rapids Drive next season if he opts to stay uh, in the U.S. to play basketball. He could also could always move uh, overseas if he gets waived by the Pistons, which is the most likely scenario. Fair enough. So there you have it, Johnny Hamilton, a training camp signing for the Pistons, and be interesting to see what they get out of him 
uh, through the preseason. Well, on top of Johnny Hamilton, the Pistons made a handful of moves this offseason. The majority of free agency is done, summer league is done, and we really hit that that period of time where it's, it's just the dead period in the NBA. Guys are working out, they're doing their thing, but there's not as many storylines. And um, when you look at what the Pistons did, they hired Dwayne Casey. They make signings such as Glenn Robinson III, Zaza Pachulia, Jose Calderon. Um, and building upon what they had last year, the question becomes, was this a successful offseason for the Detroit Pistons? And Ryan, I'll start with you. I'll say undetermined. I can't determine right now if this was a successful offseason or an unsuccessful offseason. To me, this offseason is not determined by Glenn Robinson or the draft. It's determined by how much better did Andre Drummond get, how well do Reggie Jackson, Blake Griffin, and Andre Drummond work together in Dwayne Casey's offense. That, to me, determines how successful this offseason will be. So we won't know how successful this offseason is until 15, 20, 25, 30 games in the year. You know, that period where we see what they're doing, how they're meshing together. It all depends on how well Reggie, uh, Dre, and Blake mesh in with Dwayne Casey. So I want to take a look at this from a front office and coaching standpoint and then a player standpoint. First off, looking at the front office moves, uh, bringing in Ed Stefanski as a senior advisor. I don't know why the Pistons don't just call him the general manager because that's what he is. He's the president of basketball operations. He's whatever, whatever you want to call him in that realm. He's the top dog making the basketball decisions for the team. And so far, I think that's been a pretty good move. And... Not only has that been a good move with the players, which I'm going to talk about, but the dude was able to hire the reigning coach of the year in Dwayne Casey. How often is a coach of the year from the last season available? Now, if you go back and you're Toronto and LeBron signs in Los Angeles and you get Kawhi Leonard and you still had Dwayne Casey, like that, that's an altering move for your franchise. They go from Dwayne Casey coach of the year to Nick Nurse who is again he's a good coaching prospect a guy that has climbed through the ranks over the years and should be able to do good things with Toronto but again he's not a coach of the year and that's what Dwayne Casey is he has successfully coached the Raptors to the playoffs year after year been one of the top seeds year after year had had home court advantage in the postseason year after year he is well-respected by all of his players. He's well-respected by coaches and obviously by front offices throughout the league. That is a great hire for Detroit, and I think Ed Stefanski did a good job in that respect. Moving on to the players, and that's where, for me at least, it's a little shaky. I think Glenn Robinson was a home run signing for the deal, for his potential role, for his potential overall. That's a great signing. He's going to help this team right off the bat at multiple positions, and in multiple roles. But when you look at what else they did, signing Jose Calderon, signing Zaza Pachulia, Ryan and I talked about that on the podcast a couple weeks ago. That's not really helping this team. Neither of those guys are really helping this team. And a guy like Zaza, he's going to be the backup center next year. Like, I, I'm still really worried about that for Detroit. Oh, I completely agree with you. Those moves are really – well, Jose Calderon is a debt move. The Zaza move, that's scary because that's your backup center. But like I said, it all determ- it's all determined on if Blake Griffin, Dre, and Reggie work well together 
in Dwayne Casey's offense, and then how Stanley Johnson comes along. Is Dwayne Casey helping develop Stanley Johnson, make him a better player, get, you know, how everyone was in his mind about being, you know, inconsistent, uh, the troubles he had. How does he come along under Dwayne Casey? It's not really about the signings and the moves. It's about how this team comes together with an offseason of work under a fantastic coach in Dwayne Casey. Well, you pose something interesting with Stanley Johnson because you look at Dwayne Casey's history with younger players, OG Ananobi, DeLon Wright, Jakob Portal, um, Pascal Siakam. Those are all young guys that he worked with and has developed. Fred Van Fleet, a guy that went undrafted and is now going to play a key role and played a key role last year with Toronto. What, what are you hoping to see with Dwayne Casey in regards to what he's able to help Stanley Johnson with? I'm hoping to see a more consistent shooter, a guy who's more confident on the court consistently. You'd have, like we talked about, man, you have stretches of games of Stanley Johnson where he looked so confident, he was all in your face on defense, making strong moves as a whole, and then you'd have a stretch of five, six games where he forget, forgot how to dribble, and all of a sudden he can't pass to anyone properly. He's turning the ball over left and right, and his defense is a little less uh, intimidating and hands-on because he's thinking too much. We need Dwayne Casey to just help him relax and get his shooting more consistent, and I think you'll see a more consistent Stanley Johnson. And that is kind of what, to me, determines a successful offseason, is how the players and the team come together. Not really the signings, because, let's face it, the signings and the offseason moves in general were pretty underwhelming. I think I'd feel a lot better about the Jose Calderon signing if there was assurance that the Pistons, two other point guards on the roster, would be pretty healthy and Ishmith's going to be healthy, but Reggie Jackson, with his injury history, there's that chance that he goes and misses double-digit games again. And if I have to, you know, I'm worried that Jose Calderon is going to have to play significant minutes with this team, and that really worries me. I agree, that worries me the too. The dude is on his last legs, and that's no disrespect to him. He's had a great career in the NBA. It's just I'm worried about relying on a you know near 40-year-old point guard, the most important position in the NBA in terms of running an offense. Is it the most important position in the NBA? In terms of running an offense, yes. I, they got to handle the ball. they got to facilitate. they got to lead forward. the offense. Point forwards. Who's who's Detroit's point forward? I, listen, maybe he's the most pos- important Blake position Griffin, in yes, Detroit. But but like, oh, okay, thanks. Sorry, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. Well, then, okay. Blake Griffin is a. Oh, stop it. Settle down here. What I'm saying is, Jose. You meant Calo- to say Henry Ellenson? Oh, okay. No. Let's not talk <sighs> about him. I wanted to go one week without mentioning his name, and we were unable to do it. That's like one of those times, like if you watch The Office, uh, zero days without a work related incident, or zero days with uh, no nonsense if you got laid into The Office. Which is, by the way, the best TV series to ever be made. Um, Absolutely agree on that. We just we we ha- we were we were at zero, and now we're still at zero when we were trying to get to one week, which we almost were able to do of talking about and saying Henry Ellenson's name. We were almost able to do that, and Brendan, you ruined it. You're so welcome. You're a terrible person. You're welcome. And we'll be talking about your con- contract status once we get off the air, but. The main thing with Jose Calderon... This has been a rough pod for Brendan, let me tell you. <laughs> Jesus. You're not going to hear him next week is what I'm trying to say. Um, but Jose Calderon, I, I'm expecting Jose Calderon to see at least 20 games this year where he's paying, playing like 15 That's minutes. worrisome. That and that's so worrisome. worrisome. Because I think Reggie Jackson is bound to miss, you know, 10 to 15 games. If this Smith right here, lose games. this is what you're talking about. Reggie Jackson missing games. And last week was it when we argued if the Pistons were a 50-win team or not? My whole point is being made right now. We have to see it to believe it. Reggie Jackson will miss games. Blake Griffin will miss games. 
really your, two of your three most important players. If they stay healthy, it's a good team, and we'll just qualify this offseason as a good offseason. Work your magic, Arnie. But, Work your magic. Oh, where, Arnie, where are you at? But if we're rolling out Jose Calderon for 20, 25 games playing major minutes, Blake Griffin's out because Henry Ellenson's in, my guy, it's not. That's my whole point. See, I'm so glad we brought it back to now last week. That was my whole point. We have to see it to believe it. Don't just jump on, oh, this is a 51 team. Put them in that second hey, tier. Listen, Don't. No, we have to see it to believe it. Everything's okay. Because when Andre Drummond shoots that league clip from three, the Pistons are going to get that offense made right back. The up. second Blake and Reggie go down. Dre's going to be pulling 15% from three, feeling like he has to carry the team on his back. We talked about that Blake and Andre um, pick and roll. It's going to be the Blake and Andre pick and pop. I, I just wanted to poise one, pose one last question nice. to you guys. Um, Team USA had their mini camp. Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin were there for the Pistons. Two players. That's a good thing, guys. Agreed. Of course it is. Tobias Harris was also there, and it sparked some debate on Twitter over who the better player is, for some reason, between Blake Griffin and Tobias Harris. I just wanted to clarify with you guys that we're, we all are thinking and have working brains and know that Blake Griffin is better than Tobias Harris. It's okay. You ask the question, who's the better player? Yes, it's Blake Griffin. Who's the better value in the full scope? It's Tobias Harris. Because Tobias Harris's contract... Tobias Harris gives you a little bit more in terms of extending the floor that I don't know if Blake is going to be able to give you, and he's much more durable. Now, in terms of just a pure basketball player, of course it's Blake Griffin. That's not a question. I mean, anybody that's trying to say Tobias is just a better player than uh, Blake, Tobias would have a higher 2K rating than Blake. Get out of here. Right? But... You know, I, I, I kind of go back to my mindset of I'm still not on the Blake Griffin trade uh, bandwagon. There's People have jumped on the train. People have said, all right, and you know what? It is what it is, and that's where the Pistons are headed. But um, when you're not a fan of the direction of the team, kind of going back to the previous question about the success of the offseason, it's hard to relate to an opinion on that and be able to say, yes, it was a successful offseason, or even no, it wasn't because – the direction is so different from the way you'd like to see it going um, in terms of, you know, I don't know if the... We talked about the piston ceiling being a four-seed fighting for home court advantage, and they're not a team that's got a five-year ceiling to get better, and you're looking to get Andre on his first max deal and things like that. You know, the team's not getting younger and they're not young enough that they're young and exciting either. Um, but to kind of go back to your question, Blake's a better player. Tobias today is a better value. Tobias is a better value until next season when he's up and is an unrestricted free agent and signs a twenty-five to twenty-eight million dollar contract, and then he's only making you know a hand's worth of millions less than Blake Griffin. And when Blake Griffin's a better player, then his his bargain value or whatever you called it just isn't there. So well, if Tobias season, if Tobias plays fifteen more games a year than Blake Griffin, it's there. All right. Well, we'll. we'll I don't know. Is that true? Sure. If, yeah. Is Tobias I, Harris is Tobias Harris going to lead to the same amount of wins that Blake Griffin can lead to? That no, he's not going to because Tobias Harris. Isn't, if if they're both healthy and playing the same amount of games, I agree. 
The problem is we don't know, and obviously you never know what you're going to get, but looking at just recent history and trends and and all you can judge is what you've seen to this point, um, you may get the exact same amount of wins, whether you had Blake or Tobias, depending, A, the personnel surrounding, and B, how many games Blake can play. Because, you know, if Blake plays under 60 games again this year, then... You know that that we're talking, you know, thirty nights or twenty some nights that we might see Henry Ellenson starting at the four. What are you doing? Well, we just talked about this. I'm gonna have to kick you off the pot if you keep bringing up his name. Oh, I brought it up again. What I'm saying here is Tobias Harris, and I want to go back to what he had to do when Reggie Jackson went down last season. Tobias Harris got pigeonholed into that number one scoring option, kind of shared it with Andre Drummond, but Reggie Jackson was always kind of doing that when he was healthy. And Tobias Harris's efficiency fell off a cliff. With his, but with the ball in his hands more, and the defense able to put more attention on him, he just wasn't the same player that he was when the team was healthy and he was looking like, oh, shit, that's Tobias Harris. That's the guy that Stan Van Gundy swindled for. Now, Tobias Harris is still a really good player, and I really like Tobias Harris, but Blake Griffin's been the number one option, and Tobias Harris, when he was sharing the number one option with Andre Drummond, was just not good. I mean, the team lost a lot of games with Tobias Harris being that, you know, sharing the primary option spot. He was pretty good with the Clippers, but there were some other guys that had the ball. Lou Williams and 20-point-per-game score there. Uh, they had DeAndre Jordan, who, you know, was able to do his thing. Um, so they had other guys that had the ball in their hands a good amount, too. Tobias Harris is a fine player. But, for at least for me, it's just not particularly close between his value and Blake Griffin's. I won't add too much to that because you guys kind of covered it all. I, Blake Griffin's the better player, and I agree with Brendan's point about the value in the contract and the amount of games that Blake Griffin could could not play. Uh, but like you said, Aaron, once he signs that contract next year, the value's out the window. Blake Griffin, he's he's primed to be a number one option, better scorer. Uh, it's Blake Griffin, people. What are we even talking about? Well, there you have it. And another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast is coming to a close. But again, before we sign off, handful of reminders. Number one, check out that Twitter poll. Will the concession prices, if they were to lower them at Little Caesars Arena, impact the attendance? You can find that poll on our Twitter page, at Palace of Pistons. While you're on Twitter, go ahead, throw each of us a follow. You can find Aaron at A. Johnson NBA. You can find Ryan at Pay, P-A-Y-E underscore Ryan. Or you can find myself at Media Brendan. Uh, follow us on Instagram at Palace of Pistons. Again, on iTunes, subscribe, rate, review. Let Aaron know that uh, Henry Allenson is going to be brought up every week, and that's just how it's going to be. Um, throw us the five stars if you would. Check out the website, palaceofpistons.com. Plenty of content that's going to keep coming on there. And we will see you next week for another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.